You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I do appreciate the opportunity to be here. I thank Pastor Jed and the church for allowing us to come and and talk about our ministry. Um, Folks always want to know, well, where where are you from? Where did you grow up? All that. Well, we just grew up a little bit north of here in North Dakota. That's where we were were born and raised. Both my wife and I raised on small farms. Um, Both of us raised on mixed kind of farms. She had a few cattle, a few chickens. She had geese, we had hogs. Um, you know, we had hor- we all had horses to run, chase the cattle with, and all that. So, we're we're pretty familiar with the the, the farming lifestyle. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we haven't been doing that since. Uh, in 1977, I joined the United States Marine Corps, and uh, I married her in 1978. And wave, honey, so people know who you are. That's Marlene, and. Uh, we, uh, I told her that I was only going to finish my tour in the Marine Corps, and then we would be moving back to the farm. Well, it was that tour, and then another, and another. And 21 years later, uh, <laughs> 21 years later, we, I finally uh, left the United States Marine Corps, and uh, we were 10 years in to the uh, to the, my military uh, uh, service, and the Lord saw fit to save the two of us. We both grew up in uh, Catholic homes and grew up religious, but uh, not saved. And uh, as life goes, we were having marriage trouble. Can you imagine people having marriage trouble that are not saved? People have enough marriage trouble when they are saved, amen? Uh, we, uh, We were having some marriage trouble and you know, God is so wonderful. He put a Baptist preacher two blocks away from our house. And our kids started playing together. And of course, the wives gravitate together. And then the next thing you know, I'm helping that preacher cut firewood. And then one day my wife said, well, what do you, you know, she, what, I asked my wife, what do you want to do? She said, well, I want to go to church. And I said, well, I'm good. I don't know where we're going to go. She called up Amy, this preacher's wife, and can we come to your church? Now we're talking about a Baptist preacher, right? <laughs> and you know the answer was real, you know, nice and, and calm over the phone. But I could just see her in the background when she got off the phone. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it didn't take very long of hearing the gospel, and we were saved. And God changed our lives, and it has never been the same since, believe it or not. It's been wonderful, marvelous. We've never, we've never had to look back. God took us from, we were saved in Kansas City, Missouri. God took us to Okinawa, Japan, put us in the Maranatha Baptist Church there in Okinawa, Japan. And that is where God called me to preach the gospel. And I began discipling underneath the pastor, took Bible college classes as much as I could, in 1998, I retired from the Marine Corps. In 1999, took my first pastorate in Leicester, West Virginia, up in the mountains. And it turned into a church rescue rather than a just, we were just, you know, planning to pastor a church. But it 
became a rescue very quickly, and we spent about five years there. Uh, the Lord, when we took the church, the Lord, there was about 20, 20 people there. Uh, when we left five and a half years later, there was a little more, somewhere 40 to 45 people, uh, somewhere in that general area. But this is a town of 300 people. And so God did a great work there with us. Uh, we went down to uh, Tennessee and worked in a place called the Desert Place Haven of Rest. It's a respite for pastors. Free place to go, preacher. It's great Smoky Mountains. Ask me about it later. I'll, tell, I'll give you an idea. Um, and, uh, but anyway, we went there, worked for about nine months, and then God led me to go back to the pastorate. We went out to Colby, Kansas. We were sent out by Trinity Baptist Church in Warrenton, Virginia to go to Colby, Kansas and start a church. Uh, and it is still there, to, still there today, believe it or not, Colby Independent Baptist Church. We started that in August of 2007 and uh, were there until uh, November of 2018. And God allowed us to stay there and pastor that work. But God began to burden my heart somewhere around 2015 about churches that did not have pastors. Churches that were closing, churches that were struggling. It became more and more of a burden to me. And I knew that God wanted us to head that direction, but I didn't know in what capacity. Uh, and so when we had re- turned the church over in, in uh, November 2018, turned it over to another pastor, we went out to Hayden, Colorado, and began to help the Central Baptist Church in Hayden, Colorado. Their pastor had just resigned. They didn't have any prospects or anything, so we went there. And God used that ministry to confirm to us and uh, through Titus 1.5 that uh, we were to continue in this sort of a ministry of keeping the doors open. Titus 1.5 says this, Paul said to Titus, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. All too often, churches do not have someone to take them. And all too often, pastors leave, sometimes for good reasons, you know, the right reasons, scriptural reasons. They leave. Maybe God's called them to another field. Uh, Maybe there's been some sin involved. Maybe there's been some family issues that they have to work with and work through. But way too often it happens, pastors resign and leave no plan, no program, no possible prospects, nothing. They just walk away. And... To me, that, as I study Scripture, I see that as the spirit of the hireling. And so uh, that's, those are the churches that we really try to go and try to help um, that uh, have just been left hanging basically high and dry. And we've been at, we did that in Hayden. Um, between Hayden and uh, after we were finished in Hayden, we went to uh, Springfield, Missouri, Battlefield, Missouri, and we joined the Wilson Creek Baptist Church underneath Pastor Randall Moody. He is our pastor. Um, and uh, our support has worked into that ministry through the New Testament church planting. Uh, they are a building ministry. Uh, and so, so it, work, it works very well. The, the church has a building ministry, and now they have a sustaining ministry. And so it, it's, it gives them a very round, rounded uh rounded church. They also have the preach ministry, which is a missionary training ministry. So the church is, you know, it's a very well-rounded church. But we, uh, we work out of the Wilson Creek Baptist Church and under the authority of the Wilson Creek Baptist Church. Uh, the first thing we did after there in 2019, we went to Gainesville, Missouri. Pastor Moody had 
help the church there kind of sort of stay alive. There would have been a couple men in the church that went down to Gainesville. Gainesville is just eight miles from the Arkansas line. It is central, southern, southern, southern Missouri. Ozark County, matter of fact, it's Ozark County, Missouri. It's the poorest county in the state. But uh, God let us go down there and we began to work on, uh, it is now Grace Baptist Church. It was it had digressed from Calvary Baptist Temple to the Way of the Cross Baptist Fellowship. And from what the folks there were saying, the only reason that, uh, that the pastor at that time had allowed Baptist, the only reason Baptist was still in the name is because the people insisted that it stay there. Otherwise, the pastor would have took that name of Baptist off that church too, uh, that last one they had. But anyway, God allowed us to be there and to work in that church. The church was a, a disaster both um, in uh, doctrine and in, in physical appearance, um, they'd had a flood in it in 2017. This is 2019. They'd done nothing to mitigate the issues. So the whole basement of the church was basically moldy and, and all of that. Um, and God has blessed me with some, some, some construction skills over 20 years worth. And so we were able to rebuild a great deal of that church and, and uh, both on the physical sense, and then the Lord allowed us also to see some folks added. In August of 2020, God brought a young man across our path uh, and, uh, named Nathan Phoenix. And he's a local boy, grew up right around Arkansas, Ozark County, and uh, God just led in that whole thing, and Brother Nathan is the pastor of that church today. Amen. And from there... God led us here to Calvary Baptist Church in Chamberlain, South Dakota. Amen. And uh, we came across them in one of our travels through the Dakotas. We got family up in North Dakota, came back through. We came across them that way. Long story, but anyway, we're there. And God has been greatly blessing. Um, the, we're, I just went back to teaching some basics in doctrine, which was needful. And we have had visitors almost every Sunday now for the last two months. Amen. And somebody new has come. Um, the, this, just this morning, we had a family, a couple that came. Their kids have been coming to Sunday school. They've been begging mom and dad to come. Um, the folks had asked for prayer. Some of the other um, adults in the church that knew them had asked for prayer. And... Uh, for this couple just a couple weeks ago. And they came for the first time this, this morning. And I believe that the message got through and I think there was some conviction at least in the wife. And, but anyway, God's just, just really moving in a great way in Chamberlain. I'm excited about continuing in the ministry there. And if you have any questions about what we're doing, uh, do, do feel free to ask me after the service tonight. But keep the doors open. That's what we do. That's what God's called us to do. And that's what we're desiring to continue to do for the Lord. Amen. So thank you for letting us be here. Appreciate it very, very, very much. All right, please open your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. Pastors, it customary to stand for the reading of Scripture? Okay. Proverbs 11, and when you have your place, if you would, stand please, if you're able. 
If you're not able, just follow along. Proverbs 11, verse number 30. Probably a familiar verse to many of you. But I believe the Lord has a, a message for us tonight. Proverbs 11, verse number 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. God, thank you for your word, for the wisdom of your word. I'm praying now, Lord, that you would open every heart, open every mind. Let your spirit move freely amongst us. Lord, get in front of me and just use my mouth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. You know, I've thought from time to time, why is God so concerned about mankind? You ever feel that way? Why is God so concerned about me? What, what is it about me or, or, that he finds so precious? What is it about you that he finds so precious? Do you wonder? I do. I wonder about that. You know, what is it about us humans that the God of heaven is drawn toward us and desires a relationship with us? What is it? Why? Why is that? Well, we can say, well, he loves us and he wants to redeem us. And well, that's true. But why? Why? Why are we valuable to him? We created us. But almost instantly, mankind rejected him. I, I mean, it was not very long. I don't think it was very long at all. And, you know, if you're like me, you probably would have thought, well, you know, if I was God, <laughs> I'd just have wiped it all out and started over. Yes. That's why I'm not God, I guess. Yeah. Um, let, let's just, let me, let me just illustrate something with you a moment. Regarding creating or building something, let's just say, for the sake of illustration, that you like bicycles, you don't just like, you know, the little thing that you buy from the Walmart. You like bicycles. You like the ones that have all the custom wheels, the custom brakes, the custom seats. I mean, you like the best of the best. You like those things that they would use in the Tour de France and you would win with it. That's the ones you like. So you build this bicycle and you make sure that it's got your name engraved in a very small spot. That way, if it's ever taken, hey, you can get it back, right? <laughs> so one day, it's gone. And it's gone for a while, and you're looking around, and all of a sudden, you see somebody, that looks like my bicycle. I mean, you recognize this thing, right? I mean, you absolutely know it's your bicycle. And you stop the guy. And you accuse him of taking it. And he says, I didn't do it. And I said, yeah, well, I got a secret for you. There's a, my name is underneath there in a small area. And you lo both look, and it's been scrubbed off. It's gone. Your, your name is gone from there. Huh. Well, do you really have proof of ownership? So you ask the fella, what do you want for it? And he said, well, it's going to have to be something more valuable than this bicycle. How about that high-dollar hot rod you got in your garage? Where am I going with this? God's image was scrubbed off of mankind. 
And it was going to cost him something greater to buy it back. But why would he go to all that trouble? Why would he go to all that trouble? Let me take you on a little walk through the Bible tonight, if you would. This is our start-off verse. We'll get back to it toward the end of the message. But if you would go to Genesis chapter 1, let's just go to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. Probably most of this audience could quote Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. God prepared a place for mankind to live. God prepared a place for each of us to go. God prepared a, He laid out a foundation for all that he was going to create. He divided the heavens. He created this planet. He, he put the land and the sea and the air and the sun and the moon and the stars in place. He put the seasons and the times in order. He set all of it in place. He put in millions of plants and animals. And, and then we get down to Genesis 1 and verse number 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. He created man different from every other creature on earth. Very different. And he put his image in that man. And the amazing thing is he did this in six days. Just six days. Don't let anybody tell you that God just threw things out there and let, let it all evolve to what it is. I don't think my relatives are a monkey, honestly. I've got some that may act like that, but and so do you, but I don't, I don't believe any of them are actual monkeys. But God put his image in man. And God is not going to destroy his own image. And he will not do that. God established the entire system of creation, and I believe he recorded here for us, so that we could see just how important a soul is to him. God created, his own, created us in his own image. He made us from the dust of the ground which he created. He breathed into us the breath of life and then added to us a portion of his spirit so we could communicate with him. Man was made to serve and honor his creator. The sad part of this whole account is we get to Genesis chapter 3. You realize that if Genesis chapter 3 hadn't happened and man hadn't fallen in the garden, that the Bible would be two chapters long. That's all it would be. The first two chapters of Genesis is all that we would have. That's all that would be necessary. But man didn't do what God wanted him to do, and man fell away. Man fell, and the image of God was marred and covered. Man sinned against his God. But God put a plan in place in Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 15, we find that God promised a seed to come. A seed that would be a redemption, would be the redemption of the world. It just took a while, like 8,000 years for that plan to actually unfold. And 
The Apostle Paul tells us that in the fullness of time, God set forth His Son. Well, that was quite a long time from Genesis to when Christ actually came. And as we look at God's unfolding of His plan, we see a number of things that He did along the way. We go to Genesis chapter 6, and in those first verses of Genesis chapter 6, we can find that man was focused on nothing but evil in, all of his li- in, in everything that he did. In uh, Genesis chapter 6, and in verse number 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Man had digressed to the place where everything that he did, everything he touched, everything he thought, everything about him was nothing but wickedness and evil continually over and over and over. And it had spread, evil had spread so greatly in the earth that there were only eight people, eight people on the entire planet that did not follow after evil. Noah and his family. And to spare those eight people because, I mean, they were going to have a, they were going to die someday, right? To spare those eight people, God wiped out the rest of the earth. And he demonstrated that he was able to protect his people from wickedness. You think a soul is pretty important? You think, you think God's people are pretty important? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. You better believe it. I mean, he was willing to wipe out the entire planet to spare eight people. Right. See that picture that he's putting out, where we're painting here? So, the flood is over. Noah and his family have begun to repopulate the earth. We get into Genesis in chapter 12, and God's putting a plan in motion. He calls his first missionary. In Abraham, Genesis, 1, Genesis 12, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee. I understand that call. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make, thee, make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And Abram departed. He did what God wanted him to do. The amazing thing is, when Abram took off by faith, he didn't have a great enough faith to really be a good missionary. It took 25 years for God to develop Abram into the missionary that he ought to be. From the time God called him to the time his son was born, Isaac, was 25 years. Now, Abram made some bad mistakes in between there. We know about his mistake, especially with Hagar, and we have the people that hate everything about God's people to this day because of that, the people of Ishmael. Abram, Abram made some horrible mistakes. Nevertheless, God still used him. But 25 years, he had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. The Bible says that God hated Esau, but he loved Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Where... They weren't the greatest folks either. <laughs> you, look, you look at the actions of those 12 boys and you wonder, whew, some of them must not, probably weren't even saved. Because though 11 of, them ganged, <laughs> 11 of them ganged up and sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt. And we know the turmoil of Joseph. You don't just read on in Genesis and it'll tell you about the turmoil of Joseph. 
Joseph was used of God. Joseph was blessed of God. Joseph was given a position, the second highest man in all of Egypt, eventually, in which God used Joseph to spare, to save all of his other brothers and their families, 70 people altogether. He used all of them. He used that nation and he used Joseph to spare or to save the nation of Israel for one purpose. That 430 years later, according to Exodus in chapter 12, he called approximately 2 million Jews, Hebrews, descendants of Abram, called them out of Egypt under the leadership of a man named Moses, brought in the law, and taught them how to be a nation for one purpose. That one man that would change the course of human history could be born out of that nation. Yes, amen. Yep. Think a soul's important? Think a soul's important? But he even had a greater, more expanded plan than just building a nation out of Israel. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse number 10. Isaiah 11 and verse number 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Who's that root of Jesse? Jesus Christ. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, and Hamath, from the islands of the sea, basically the world. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together to disperse from Judah and from the four corners of the earth. In other words, his plan was greater than just Israel. His plan was for the world. And it would all be done through one man this root of Jesse, or the one we know as Jesus Christ. But how did he affirm that to Israel? How did he make sure that they would understand that? He gave us a couple of really wonderful illustrations. Do you know of a man named Naaman? You ever heard of Naaman? Naaman, he's from 2 Kings in chapter 5. You'll find Naaman, the Syrian general, who was a leper. Attacked Israel. They captured slaves, took the money. Naaman carried this young girl back to his home. He needed a servant for his wife. And that little girl, well, there's a whole message in her, in her statements about being a testimony for Christ. But that little girl told Naaman that if he would go to the prophet of Israel, he could be cured from his leprosy. Naaman didn't think much of that. He, glowed, he, he, he didn't think much of that first, but he thought, well, you know what? I think I'll go try that. So he loaded up 
with money and clothes and everything material that he could think of that might entice this prophet to help him. The prophet's name was Elisha. He gets to Elisha's residence. Elisha is not even impressed that he's the Assyrian general and does not come out to meet him. He sends a servant. And needless to say, the general was not happy he was dealing with a servant. He was further flabbergasted when Elisha said, I don't want your money. I don't want your clothes. I want nothing from you. Just go down to the Jordan and dip yourself seven times. You'll be fine. Naaman didn't want to do that. He thought the Jordan River was dirty. He wanted to go back to Syria and dip in another river. But his, thankfully, some of his supporting staff had some common sense, and they said, look, go do that. If he'd asked you to go conquer another people, you'd have done that. Just go dip in the river. It's not that hard. Go see if it'll work. Yes. Well, on his seventh time out, boom, he didn't have leprosy anymore. Yeah. Yep. And as the story unfolds, it looks very much like Naaman definitely became a believer in the God of heaven. We have the same account of a man named Nebuchadnezzar. Many of you are very familiar with that. Nebuchadnezzar was raised up as a king to destroy the nation of Judah. About 600 B.C., he invaded Judah. Took the captive of a young man named Daniel. Hauled him back to Babylon. Daniel was a solid witness for Christ. And he interpreted dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. And he became part of Nebuchadnezzar's court. And he came to Nebuchadnezzar with a message one day and said, Look, if you don't change your ways, there's going to be judgment falling upon you. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't believe him. And for seven years after Daniel's warning, Nebuchadnezzar ate grass in the pasture and acted like an animal. Right. Yeah. After seven years, the Bible tells us that his good sense returned to him. And Nebuchadnezzar became a believer. You read Daniel chapter 4, it's Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony of his salvation. God gave foreshadowings. God gave uh, examples and illustrations of the Gentiles' salvations. And he kept this thing moving and moving. Because why? Because souls are important to him. His redemption plan is unfolding little by little. And when we get to Matthew chapter number 1, the opening of the New Testament, we find a very comforting and amazing thing going on in Matthew chapter 1. I'll bet you can't figure out what that's going to be, huh? Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. The, full, the time is full. The time is right. The time is ready. The fullness of time is here. Galatians 4, 4. The fullness of time is here. Galatians, Genesis, or Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found a child of the Holy Ghost. You know the story. You hear it every year for Christmas. 
You hear it all. You've heard the story. I'm not going to have to read the entire thing. But Jesus Christ was born. The story of Christ is is rather amazing because back when God uh, flooded the earth, he killed everyone else to save a few. Here, one died to save the world. Absolute opposite of the flood. While Jesus was on earth, he saved and discipled 11 men. We don't count Judas because he didn't work. He saved and discipled 11 men and then called a 12th named Paul. These 12 men are the foundation of what we know today as the church. Jesus' ministry of one is remarkable. He saved one named Nicodemus. He saved one woman at a well in Samaria. He saved a, young, a little man named Zacchaeus. He delivered a man possessed with 2,000 demons. He performed at least three resurrections. And his ministry was on and on. He fed 3,000, fed 5,000. His ministry to individual people is amazing. Why? Because souls are important to Jesus. Souls are important to him. And despite his ministry of love, Jesus was hated, he was despised, he was mocked, he was harassed, he lived a continuous life of danger. People constantly threatening him. He was finally arrested and nailed to a cross, died there, shedding his blood for the sins of every human being that ever lived. On the third day, he rose again from the grave on his own power. He didn't need any help. He had the power to put down his life. He had his power to take it up again. He fulfilled the redemption of mankind in one act. Why did he do it? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 tells us very clearly. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Each and every individual person was important to him and he did it. Don't, don't ever misunderstand. He did not enjoy the cross. He did not enjoy the suffering of the cross. Nobody ever convinced me that he did. He had a greater focus. He had a farther focus. He, was, he, knew where, he knew exactly what was going to happen to him. The whole time he was on earth, he knew. But his greater focus was the end. His greater focus was what was coming. His greater focus was that joy when he once again was united with his father. That was his greater focus. For the joy that was set before him, he sent that, God sent that one man. But everything from the day the world was created to the day he went to the cross and died was all about souls. It was all about souls. It was about the souls then. It is about the souls now. It is about the souls tomorrow. Souls are important to God. Matthew chapter 28. Most of you are probably familiar with this. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. You know the rest of it. 
It's the commission to the church to go and win people to Christ and disciple people for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's the commission. But the church is you and you yes. and you and you and you and you. Amen. The church. The church cannot function without you. That's right. You are the individual God saved for this day. You are the individual that the Lord saved to reach souls in this generation. You've seen whatever God did to create a world, to redeem a world, because he loved the world, and he loved you and me personally. I think I owe him a debt. I owe him a debt of gratitude. I owe him a debt of obedience. We have a commission. Now let's go back to Proverbs chapter 11. Can I challenge you with a thought here tonight? Are you concerned about souls as God is concerned about souls? You say, well, God went to a lot of trouble. He's God. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. What's the opposite of wise? Foolish. He that doth not win souls is foolish. Yes, sir. That's harsh, preacher. No, it's true. Yeah, you're right. It's true. One of the things that I've really God has really burdened me about in the last several years, really, as America becomes more and more of a pagan nation. Can't convince me America's a Christian nation because there's not a whole lot Christian about America anymore. But we find more and more people that do know that know absolutely nothing of Scripture. One of the things that God has burdened me greatly about in this area of winning souls is simply teaching people right from wrong. And that they have an accountability before God. There's a, probably anybody, anybody you meet will acknowledge that there is a God. Yes. They'll say, oh yeah, I know there's a God. What they don't understand is their accountability to that God. Yeah. They don't understand that. And part of your job, my job, is to let them understand that. To help them understand that. Yeah. That's the first step in winning a soul. That's the first thing we have to do. We have to get them to understand that there is a God and they are accountable to that God. The next thing we have to get them to understand is they're not worthy to go to meet that God. A lot of folks have the idea, well, I'm not so bad. I'm not a bad guy. 
If you would have asked me 30 years ago when I was lost, yeah, I believe I'll go to heaven. At least I hope so. And that, was my, that would have been my answer. I hope so. I don't have a hope so salvation now. I've got a I know so salvation. Amen? God has promised me that. And my job, your job, every Christian's job, you cannot avoid this job because God has given it to every single one of us. Our job is to give that hope, that truth, that, that uh, promise to every single person we come in contact with. You, you know, don't, don't get out of the idea that I have to go knock on a door and hand out literature to be a soul winner. You can do it in your daily walk. Let me illustrate it. My wife and I were coming back from Heartland a couple weeks ago. And we spent the night, I don't know, somewhere between here and there, Yankton, York, York, yeah. So... We, would drive, we drove up from, we got to Yankton, and it was lunchtime, so we stopped to have lunch. I don't even remember the name of the little restaurant there. Frying pan, there we go. Young man, you see, she's always good at that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a young man there working the cash register. When we get ready to check out, his name is Cargo. He's a Russian immigrant adopted by someone from Yankton at 10 years old and grew up in Yankton. Well, and I'm, I'm one of these glass half full kind of people, and, and uh, you know, I, he asked, well, how's things going? I said, hey, the day is wonderful. We're having great travel. Food was good. Um, you know, life's great. He said, well, that's what it's all about. And I said, well, really, life is all about is really all about knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do you see the natural transition? Yes. Yeah. And. Uh, and, and, and I, as I said that, and, you know, and I said, and, and knowing for sure that you're going to heaven. And he kind of looked at me funny. He kind of said, yeah. I said, Cargo, do you know that? Do you know that truth? No, I don't. He was very honest. And so I proceeded to tell him, you know, about being a sinner and needing a savior and I, I, told, I gave him as much as I could in about 10 seconds because somebody else was coming up to pay their bill. The man's on somebody else's time clock. It would be rude for me to use his paid time even for something as important as sharing the gospel. So we let those folks get checked out and there's nobody else behind him. And, and I, you know, I, I just said to him, I said, can I get your name and phone number? And would you care if another Baptist preacher came and talked to you? You know, I'd like that. So I got his name, I got his phone number, I called up Brother Nathan Moore down there, and I gave him the information. And Nathan has tried to contact him. But see, I didn't get a chance to lead that man to the Lord by planted seed. Yes, sir, that's right. I planted seed. And it was a natural transition. And I'm not saying this to brag on myself, I'm just saying this is something anybody in this room can do. Just let yourself naturally transition into a conversation about Christ. You can talk about working on a car. You can talk about sewing. You can talk about quilting. You can talk about hunting and fishing. And you can talk about 
farming or you can talk about whatever your business is. You can talk about all those things. But you should be able to also talk about the most important thing in your life. Is anyone in here tonight going to say, uh, being saved is not the most important thing that's ever happened to me? No hands have gone up. So that tells me that everyone in here believes and thinks and understands that your salvation in Christ is the greatest event that's ever happened. Some of you were probably on a state basketball or football championship team 40 years ago and you still remember that feeling, you still remember that day. But you've never talked to anyone about Christ. But you'll talk about that 40 years ago. I don't mean to be ripping your head off and kicking it down the street here, but the truth is the truth, right? I'm just saying, we don't have to be one of these, get in your face, slap them on the end of the nose with the Bible and say, you better pray this prayer, by golly, or you're going to be, oh, you're going to be going straight to hell. No. It'll take sometimes years. Sometimes years for someone to come to Christ. You give them a little bit here, a little bit there. Here a little, there a little. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. And what do you know? God's word does not return void. Amen. All that God went through to create a place for us to live to redeem fallen man, to save your soul. Stop and think about this for a moment. The salvation of your soul involved a Christian praying for you. Maybe it was your parents, maybe it was another family member, maybe it was a friend, I don't know who it was, but somebody prayed for you. Almost assuredly, there was a church somewhere involved in that of people who prayed for you or taught you Sunday school or preached the gospel to you. There was a preacher there. There were other church members that were friendly and loved on you. And then there was that person that had a great enough burden for you to sit down, open their Bible and say, thus saith the Lord. Gave you that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God presentation. And you believed on Jesus Christ. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. Be wise. Plant those seeds but all that God went through so that you could be saved. You owe him a debt. Yes, sir. That's right. You owed him a debt you could not pay before. Now you owe him a debt of sharing his good news with others. Every head bowed.
You and I are responsible before God to get the gospel to the world. Nobody can give something in exchange for their soul. He must come to a point of repentance in his life and believe on Jesus Christ and him alone, and you may be the only one that he'll listen to. It's important. I believe you understand how important a soul is. The question is, what are you doing? What are you doing for Jesus in this matter? Not one of us is exempt of the responsibility. All of us are required to win a soul. When you've considered that effort that was involved in saving your soul, you should feel an obligation to do the same. I'd like to have everyone standing, heads bowed, eyes closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.